Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah for a second. The book of Nehemiah. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Go to chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which is in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given or commanded Israel. Then Ezra the priest, Nehemiah 8, 2, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. This is the, the, uh, a very special month for Israel. And he read from it before the square, or in the open square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. That's about six hours. This is a preacher's dream, a six-hour sermon, and nobody's complaining. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, all the people, here's another pastor's dream, were attentive to the book of the law, And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, something like a pulpit, if you will, which they had made for the purpose. I want you to understand something about a pulpit. This pulpit has nothing to do with this man that's standing here. What is elevated above us, the reason why preachers preach from a pulpit, is what's elevated above us is God's word. Not the man. It's his word. We are under his word. When anybody preaches from this pulpit, the reason that it might be elevated is that we are saying we are under its authority. We are under what it says. We're going to listen to what it says. That's why pulpits were raised in the first place. And so the book was opened, and there was a pulpit there, and there were others there. There were Levites there, and their names are much too hard to try to pronounce. And so I'm not going to even go there. But I'm going to take you to verse 6, if you'd skip down there. Verse 6. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Um, I just want to say something else about this while, while we've got it. It appears that some people think that the lifting of hands is some weird, charismatic expression of worship. If you read the Bible, actually the lifting up of hands is all over the Bible. It is not some weird, extreme expression of worship. You don't have to lift your hands when you're worshiping. But it seems like when you uh, grow and and you begin to kind of get your arms around worship a little bit more, it becomes more comfortable. Your hands can kind of go up slowly over the years. Can be kind of like here. I don't want anybody to see me, but I sure want my, my hands almost feel like automatically something's pushing them up. I don't, I don't, I should. What will they think if they go up beyond midpoint? I'm going to stay right here. Okay? And then Shane sings a song like, I can't lift my hands high enough. And you're like, It's okay. It's okay to lift up your hands 
Because it's a way of expressing love to God. It's a way of reaching out to Him because He's going to reach to you. It's a way of just saying, I honor you, Lord. It's almost like kneeling in prayer. You don't have to do it, but the people were lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped. Look at both. Uh, They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And they read from the book of the law, look at verse 8, the law of God translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. They're making clear what the word of God said. I want you to understand something about Ezra. Ezra was not just a man that showed up on the scene to do this particular task. He was prepared by God. Uh, I want you to go back one book. Go to Ezra, just one book back. Go to chapter 7. Ezra 7, look at verse 8. Ezra 7, verse 8. And he came... He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. Ezra 7, look at verse 9. For on, the first of the, for on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now this is the copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, learned in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. I point this out because if revival is going to happen, if a man or a woman is going to step up to leadership, you've got to be prepared Ezra prepared himself. He set his heart to study. He wanted to know God's word and he wanted to know it well. And when he got an opportunity to have a platform, he knew what he was talking about because he had already committed his life to study. Now look, nobody's ever going to arrive when it comes to studying the word of God. I've been studying the word of God for 20 plus years if you turn back to 1 Samuel. And I learned new stuff Every time I open the Bible and every time I restudy a book, I learn new stuff. That's not the point. But the point is this. If you want to be effective for God, you need to know his word. Amen? You need to be prepared to uh, preach what he says. And the only way you can do that is by knowing his word. First Samuel 7. What's the problem in Israel? And to what is... Uh, Samuel calling the people, he's calling them to repentance. And here we get an idea of the problem. Samuel said, if you will return. Here's the problem. You've turned away from the Lord. These 20 years have been filled with idolatry. You haven't worshipped the Lord. the, The nation is full of idols. Your heart is the problem Look at verse 3, 1 Samuel 7. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with what? All your heart. I just want you to note this. It's very important. Repentance is an act of the will. Return to the Lord with what? All your heart. I'm going to say it one more time. Repentance is an act of the will. And it is your will. Now, we've been talking about 
God's sovereignty and election and free will. And we've been trying to kind of, you know, dissect that biblically. And those are hard concepts. But ultimately, what I've said from this pulpit, and I'll say it again, is God is not going to repent for you. When he calls you to repent, he's going to ask you to turn. And the word repentance in Hebrew is shuv, and metanoia is the Greek word, and it has the idea of a mind and will turn, and it's a U-turn. You're going this way, and repentance means you turn back to God. But it also has this additional meaning, that when you turn to God, you burn everything that kept your eyes away from God. Literally, shuv means to burn the house. And I've given you that definition in the past. Ancient armies, when they would take a town, they would light the town on fire. They would burn all the houses to convince the people that they had nothing to go back to and to subjugate them even uh, more. And this is the term. Shuv means you burn the house, or in this case, you burn the idols, and you turn back to God, and you don't leave anything to go back to. We love to play this little game. We do half repentance. It's kind of like this. Can I be right here? I, I, I like things over here. I want to serve you, Lord. And we sit on the fence. And we do a halfway repentance. We don't do the 180, we do a 90. Anybody relate to this? I don't want any confessions. You can write anonymous notes. <laughs> and the problems that identified, look at verse 3. Here's the remedy. If you return to the Lord with all your heart, and look at verse 3, and remove or rid yourself or put away the foreign gods. Look, if you're really serious about repentance, Samuel says, then you'll get rid of the things that have been keeping you away from God. If you're really serious about repentance, then you'll chuck the foreign gods who have been weighing you down and steering your heart away from God. It happened to Solomon. His many foreign wives and their gods and goddesses turned his heart away from God. He says, put that stuff away. Put away the foreign gods. The Ashtoreth, this is the plural form of Ashtoreth. She was uh, known as the wife of Baal and she was a goddess of war and of sex. And by the way, the way that they worshipped her oftentimes was in very lewd and debauched uh, behavior, sexual behavior. There was even so-called sacred prostitution. In many of these fertility cults, what they believed was as people had sex, and I'm sorry to put it this bluntly, but this is how it, how it is. Somehow you appeased the fertility gods and goddesses and by your own actions down here on the planet, it might cause them to act and to bless you with fertility blessings. So people said, ah, well, this is how you appease the gods. You, this is how you appease Ashtoreth, plural. This means that either there were many forms of her in different cities, or... There were multiple idols of her everywhere. And notice in the verse that the Baals are also um, the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you. So you have plural, plural. And direct your heart to the Lord and serve him alone and he will deliver or he will save you from the hand of the Philistines. So repent, remove, direct your heart to the Lord and 
serve him alone. And now we find out what was happening. What was happening was what's called syncretism. They're trying to worship God and worship the false gods at the same time. This is, by the way, one of the most embraced things worldwide right now is uh, a mixed syncretistic religion approach where you just take all these different gods and, and the only measure of your spiritual life becomes your sincerity. And so you can, work, you can, do all, you can mix all this different stuff and it's just fine because we're all serving the same God, whatever God it is, as long as you're sincere. Now, when you study the Bible seriously, just for any length of time, do you think that the God of, Bi- of the Bible really believes that? Oh, that's fine. Yeah, if you, if you want the bales or the asterisks, that, that's cool. I don't mind. I'll scoot over a little bit. No, you saw what he did to Dagon, right? You saw what happened to the Philistines. God will not share his glory with another. The living God is not going to share his glory with dead false gods. He just won't. And if you want him to make room for that junk, he won't. If you look at the history of Israel, you get the answer to the question. God says, no, I won't share my glory because all these other gods are false gods. You shall have no, it's in the top 10, folks. In the top 10. You shall have no other gods before me with the small g. It's just not going to happen. And so we found the problem. The problem is idolatry. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is commending the Thessalonians. He said, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report, uh, well, let's go back. I've got another version here. And to wait uh, for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In the New Testament, this was the same thing. People were turning from dead idols to the living God. That's what we need to do. And when you do it, it's so awesome, isn't it? When you turn from dead religion to the living God, it's life-changing. It changes everything in your life. And, and his life comes into you. And he, he shows you what true life is all about. Now look at, this is the true test of repentance. They actually did it. It says in verse 4, 1 Samuel 7, 4, so the sons of Israel removed the Baals, there's the mention of Baal and it's plural, and the Ashtaroth, plural form of Ashtaroth, and served the Lord alone. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. The Greek word is kurios, and it means two lords. And by the way, the name Baal means Lord. And you can't serve two lords. And so the people, they listened to Samuel, and they said, okay, we're going to get the junk out of our land. We're going to get rid of the Ashtaroth. We're going to get rid of the Baals. They seem to have been everywhere. Look at verse 4. They're plural. The Baals were everywhere. Maybe multiple statues everywhere. Maybe different forms. Baal of this location. Baal of that location. And they removed it. The Lord says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from... Their wicked ways. 
Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's what Israel wanted. They wanted healing. And they realized that there was only one place to look, and that was up, and to their credit, they began to remove the junk. That's what God is going to ask you to do, by the way. And it doesn't always happen overnight. I think most of us here in this room can say little by little, the Lord would bring something to our attention and say, that should go, that should go. You don't want to become legalistic about things. I'm talking about things that can be neutral in life, but some people have decided to get rid of all you know, categories of music or old movies. I don't know if you should do that or not. That's between you and the Lord. But if you have idols in your house, if you're trying to serve multiple gods and the God of the Bible, not going to work. I was in India. I was at a hotel doing a pastor's conference, and there was a hotel worker, and we could not speak the same language, but I just so desperately wanted to share the gospel with him. And I finally got a translator over, and I shared the gospel, and uh, this young man got down on his knees, and he was ready to receive Jesus Christ. My friend who had done several trips to India said, um, now you understand that by receiving Jesus into your life, you are saying that all other gods are false. You understand that, right? This young man was confronted with the truth that he couldn't just add Jesus to a list of gods that might help him. He had to turn from all those other gods as false and receive Jesus as the one true God. And you could see the pull in his heart. And you could see a little bit of wrestling, but he did right there. I have an old picture with me and him standing outside this hotel. And he gave his life right there to Jesus Christ. But he had to break that cycle of thinking that he could just add God to all these other gods. And so the people did. I think the application is clear. Are there some things that you need to get rid of? Some things that may be holding you back right now. Some things that make you do a half turn and then you turn back to them. Look, we all wrestle with the flesh and stuff like that, but I think the more clear, overt things we all realize. Samuel said, verse 5, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Mizpah was a city in the territory of Benjamin. Benjamin will come up many times, about eight miles north of Jerusalem. The city was the capital of Judah after the fall of Jerusalem, so a very prominent uh, location. And so now he's called all the people together. And what Israel's been longing for, I think, is good leadership and an intercessor, and now they've got one. They've got Samuel, and he says, look, we're going to all gather at this location at Mizpah, and I'm going to pray for you there. And they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out. This is a libation or drink offering. Instead of drinking it, this was a kind of a self-denial thing. They poured it out, but it also had the, the idea of pouring out their hearts before the Lord. They gathered here, the nations there. They drew the water. They poured it out before the Lord, symbolic of repentance, and fasted on that day. Anybody check your Jewish calendar? Is it Purim today? Is it the Feast of Purim? Um, the Feast of Purim is the uh, holiday 
where they remember Esther's brave courage to go before the king. And in 2006, we were at the Wailing Wall, and we were a little hesitant to go to the Wailing Wall, and there were some Jewish guys, and we could tell that they were Jewish by the way that they were dressed. And we, we wanted to ask, we said, is it cool if we go up to the wall? And he go, they go, if you come in peace, it's fine. And we're talking to this young man, he's about 20. We said, where are you from? He goes, I'm from New York. <laughs> we said, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm, I'm celebrating the Feast of Purim. He said, I haven't eaten anything or drank anything for three days. I'm like, wow. And eat or drink for three days? Yeah, because that's how they honor the feast. And what they honor in their fast is the fast that Esther called for right before she would take this hard step and go before the king uninvited and say and expose uh, Haman's, he was from the 70s, 60s, Haman's plot, Haman's plot. And you know, God used her in a mighty way. She was courageous for such a time as this. Right? She was brought into the kingdom. And she said, if I perish, I perish. And so they fasted on that day. And they took ownership. They said, we have sinned, end of verse 6, against the Lord. And Samuel judged, and this has the idea of him leading the nation, the sons of Israel at Mizpah. And so they poured out their hearts in repentance. They owned their sin. Look, True repentance is ownership. It means I made a mistake. It's not passing the buck. We can be really good at that. True repentance says, I did this. And I want to make it right. And I'm going to uh, pour out my heart before the Lord. And do you remember Ichabod in this book? The glory of God had disappeared. How do you get the glory of God back in your life? Repentance, removal, ownership, and God is so quick to forgive, isn't he? He wants to bless. He, he wants to pour out uh, all the blessings, ones that we can't even contain. Lamentations 2.19 says, Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night, At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. Lamentations is a book about lamenting at God's judgment. And what they are saying is, we're pouring out our tears like a drink offering before you. Now when the Philistines heard, seven, that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. Look, they've changed. They've become humble, right? They they didn't even pray at the beginning of chapter 4 about battling the Philistines. Now they want nothing but prayer. You know that your life is moving in a good direction or the life of a family or the life of a couple or the life of a nation is moving in the right direction when prayer becomes a priority. How are you doing with that? 
When prayer becomes a priority, you're moving in a great direction. And they said, don't stop praying, Samuel. Later in the book, Samuel would say, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And so they said, please pray. Man, we underestimate the power of prayer, don't we? It, sometimes it's just a back burner thing. It's in case of emergency, pray. No, Jesus says, pray. Pray. And don't lose heart. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. Four things, four simple things, but very profound. If you return, how? With all your heart. Return to the Lord with all your heart. Repentance is an act of the will. If you remove, look, if you're serious about repenting, then you're going to remove the things that have been stumbling you. Rid yourselves. Put away the foreign gods. Look, if, if the reason that you've ended up in this situation that you're in right now is because you've allowed idols into your heart, idols into your life, idols that have stumbled you and maybe there's been consequences because of that, remove them. See, your repentance will show its genuineness in your removal of the foreign gods. Number three, direct your heart to the Lord. You see, once you repent, which is simply a 180 on the road of life, you've been going your own way now, you turn, you shuv is the Hebrew word, you, you turn around and you go to the Lord and you remove the stumbling blocks. Now you're going to direct your heart to the Lord. And, and the things that maybe were a stumbling block, the things that were getting in the way from you directing your heart fully to the Lord now, the way will be open. And then finally, serve him alone. Look, the reason that you're here is because God has called you to serve him and to serve others. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And for a Christian, serving the Lord is something that we delight to do. His commandments have become the joy and delight of my soul. Is service always easy? No. Is repenting and removing and directing your heart always easy in a world like this? No. But there's a formula in 1 Samuel 7 verse 3. It's return, remove, direct, and serve. Four simple steps and God will deliver you. Look, it's not going to look the same for every life. We, we, we know that. But look, God is going to honor a person who returns or repents, who removes the junk out of their life, who directs their heart to Him, and who serves Him. God will be faithful. He's always faithful to His Word. 